there's always going to be a high end. That's fine. There's always going to be a low end. That's fine too. The biggest struggle for a commander, I think, is the social aspect of it. The problem with having such a range of play styles, of expectations, of power levels within one umbrella is that there's going to be a lot of times where maybe expectations don't line up. I, I've never heard somebody say, you're nothing like you are on Twitter. <laughs> I don't think anybody should ever have to feel unwelcome. So if there's anything I can do, and if my presence here lessens or alleviates that, then it's all for the better. I'll take whatever's coming if I can make it better for other people. There's a point where I get the call, I get an ask and it's like, I can't not do anything. I can't espouse, hey, it's really important to be involved and then ignore it when I get asked to. That's my thing. You're listening to Olivia Gobert Hicks on Humans of Magic. Hey, what is up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Humans of Magic. As always, I'm your host, James Sue. We are here with episode 88. That's right, 88 with Olivia Gobert Hicks. The lady needs almost no introduction. She is one of the most popular faces of Magic the Gathering because Commander has become this amazingly dominant format. And you know what? To no one's surprise, Olivia was a fabulous, wonderful guest. I know I like to say that for a lot of people that I interview or have on the show, but it's really true here. Olivia is just funny, larger than life, gracious, willing to talk about anything, everything, just a great force a great voice for magic before we get the party started just want to give a few mentions first of all humans of magic the podcast please follow us on twitter on humans of magic please follow us on all the platforms that you can listen to podcasts on that includes spotify soundcloud apple podcasts Anywhere you get your favorite podcasts, we are there. Make sure you follow us and visit our website, humansofmagic.com. I also want to shout out the amazing music you hear in every episode by Kupla. Kupla is an amazing Finnish musician who's also a magic player. His new album, Mirage, can be heard everywhere. Make sure you give Kupla some love. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. Kupla Sound, that's K-U-P-L-A. Check it out. All right, that is pretty much it. Please enjoy my conversation with Olivia Gobert Hicks. Olivia, how are you doing today? I'm Peachy Kane. How about you? Good, good. I, I'm excited to talk to you, one of the faces of Commander, basically. I mean, right, for how, better how's, or worse. <laughs> for better or worse. How does it feel being the face of Commander? Let's just start off with like a huge direct question here. Okay, so cool. Uh, I'll refute your direct question with I am a face, but not the only face. That being said, I appreciate it. I am happy that 
I have a spot that I'm, a, you know, I'm able to like be an ambassador for the game, but not necessarily the competitive side, because that's something I've never been involved in. Right. Like my, my entrance to magic was an eight person, two headed giant game of commander for a year. That's all I thought magic was. I did not know that there was standard, that there was limited, there were drafts that just wasn't what I was doing with the game. So to kind of have the ability to be a face for it, especially coming from only that background and not really being anywhere else has been a really pretty cool opportunity. (laughs) For sure. I'm sure it is. And I'm sure there are lots of players who identify with where you're coming from, right? Just in terms of being acquainted with magic through commander, I would imagine. Well, I think that's been a much bigger thing recently in the last few years, obviously, we all know that Commander's kind of like exploded as far as the magic scene and popularity and in accessibility and people that play it. But when I first started back in 2014, like it wasn't a nothing, right? It wasn't like it didn't exist, but it certainly wasn't the, the top tier like format you play. It's like, oh, okay, well, there are these pre-cons and uh, maybe it's this weird thing. Like I started very kitchen table, um, And when I remember after I learned, I came back to my husband at the time and was telling him like, oh yeah, I I finally learned how to play magic. And we all sat down the four, like there were eight of us at the table, but it's normally only four people. And he's just looking at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? That's not magic. I was like, yeah, it is. That's the, we played with magic cards. I don't know what you want from me. So it's, it's interesting seeing that this explosion has happened from it. Right. And that this is now how a lot of people do enter Magic the Gathering. This is how a lot of people are coming into it. They'll, you know, buy a pre-con and that's how you jam with more than one friend. There's not really any in-person competitive events, obviously, right now. Um, and, you know, the webcam commander is definitely a thing. So it's it's an it's a really easy access point. There's a lot of content being made. There's a lot of ways to get engaged, even, you know, in a pandemic. So yeah, it's it's nice that there are people that are entering the game that way and that I can offer that perspective, both for the commander advisory group and just kind of being like a welcome wagon of like, Hey, I was never involved in the, in the competitive scene either. Come on in. It's still great. Absolutely. And just going back to your, your origin story, how, how, how difficult was it to learn the rules in a eight player game? Like, did you read the rules ahead of time? Did you No, I had no idea. They, they so just like, explained I, to you like at the table. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. So that sounds pretty um, daunting, actually. It was, it was, but it was really fun at the same time because I was with some of my best friends. It was, you know, obviously all of Commander is a no stakes game, but we're all just sitting around eating barbecue, having beers, you know, talking shit with each other and playing this out. So as I got invited in, I mean, I was aware of magic. I I knew like a basic you need land to cast stuff, and that was kind of it. So having one of my best friends sitting next to me, explaining things turn by turn, like, Hey, here's why we wouldn't swing out because they have this going on. Or, you know, having someone that is knowledgeable, that's sitting right next to me the entire time, like, okay, well, here's why we should play this. Hey, you actually would want to do this on the second main instead was actually really helpful because if I just sat down and tried to play, obviously I wouldn't know what I was doing. So having someone that can give me a little more guidance, but still also be letting me take a more active role in the game was actually a really good way to kind of, you know, get my toes in the water and be like, oh, this is actually really fun. I think I played one more game, like with a guide basically before I was like, nah, it's cool. I can just give me a deck. Like I'll figure it out. Like I'll make tons of mistakes as they go, but that's, that's what got me in. So it, it made it actually for me less daunting because 
even if I made a mistake, everybody knew I was new, but I also had someone that knew what was going on, walking me through stuff and giving me, you know, a reason why X, Y, or Z happened. So I found it to be actually pretty helpful and, and made it less intimidating, (laughs) strangely enough. Were you a gamer before magic? Because I know you have some affinity towards video games and such. So (laughs) tell me what that, tell me about your background. So background's pretty, pretty standard stuff. Like I played Genesis and SNES games as a kid, but wasn't like super hardcore into it. It was more like, ah, you know, homework's done. It's got some time between dinner and bedtime. So I I was pretty casual, but it was something I did a lot. You know, my, I was one of the, you know, latchkey kids that came home, kind of got, kept myself entertained until the parents got home. So that was one of the ways I did that. So there's a lot of nostalgia in that for me, but, um, I got kind of back into PC gaming a bit more in high school when I, the friends I was with, we had LAN parties all the time. My 20th birthday party was like a three-day weekend LAN party, (laughs) (laughs) but I never really did like the TCG stuff actually at any point in time until that fateful Thursday in July, 2014, when I got sat down and all right, you're learning how to play magic now. So I've had uh, an interest in it. It is a very casual, like, oh yeah, this is fun. I have, you know, like I'll gladly sit down at a table and learn something and play something out, but it was never the big ingratiated. This is the only thing going on in my life. It's not, it was never like my sole focus. It was always this really like interesting, but not time consuming extra hobby sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know you super well, but even now I I feel like that's my impression of you is that you've got a lot of things going on. Like, it's not that, (laughs) like, I know we talked about magic so far, but it's not Mm -hmm. just magic. Like you're just an overall gamer and uh, we can get into some of the other stuff too, but, but what is it like just growing up with like video games in your household? Was it, is it like through your siblings? Did you, how did you guys like, I assume you have siblings, right? I have two younger brothers that are 17 and 15 years younger than me. Okay. So, so you're the oldest yeah. one. You're like uh-huh, the elder yeah. sister. Okay. <laughs> so I, I mean, my, I think my mom got me the Genesis actually. Like, I don't even think I asked for it. I think she just got it for me as like, Hey, this will be one other thing. That's like a one-time investment. I can plant my kid in front of it. She'll be interested in this outside of, again, you know, like in that couple hours that like she wasn't home, but I got home from school and like, I had to like quote unquote, take care of myself. So she's the one that ended up getting it for me. And I just got hooked. I had no idea like that it was something I wanted, but that was, that was it. I played video games after that. So (laughs) yeah, like my, I remember my little brothers when they find out, found out about Minecraft at like seven and five years old. And they were asking me if I, you know, if I knew about it, if I was cool enough to, and of course at that point I did. And like my friends had our own servers and everything and their mom, my stepmother had asked me like, Hey, is it like, is this an, is this an okay game for these kids to play? I was like, yes, it's a sandbox. All they have to do is build stuff. They don't kill anything. Like they're just going to hit blocks and build stuff. It's just digital Lego kind of thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I think that's actually probably something similar to what I told her. So it was nice being able to share that with them. And then they turned into, you know, console gamers big time and they're off on their own thing with that. But <laughs> so it was nice that the the Minecraft angle was a way for you guys to connect, right? It was a, yeah, you and your yeah, definitely got something out of that with my brothers, which is really cool. And then, you know, uh, I would show them like the old games I would play and everything and just be like, oh, you guys think your graphics are bad on your PS, whatever. <laughs> like, let me show you something. <laughs> <laughs> So 
yeah, I mean, it was a nice little bonding thing, but it was never like a big familial, like, oh, we're going to video game together or anything like that. Cause we were just so far apart in age, you know, it was like when I could contribute or like shepherd them into something cool, I would, but yeah. we weren't always living together. I was off to college, you know, a couple of years later. So looking back, do you think your mom had some sort of ulterior motive for getting you the Genesis? Was it, it was she just, did, it was a good off. one. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, like I still, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I bring it up on Twitter all the time and I'll like go back and listen to like those super old, like glory days, 90s, late or like mid nineties video game soundtracks, because it's just like, Oh, it just takes me back. But like, they're really good. The <laughs> synth uh, nice... MIDI kind of mm-hmm. stuff. It's that nostalgia, like millennial jeopardy music. It's like, that's what you use for the platformer. It's really good and it's pretty and it's involving, but it's not too distracting. So I'm like, this is the perfect music to work to or something. <laughs> yes. So what was your favorite Sega Genesis game? <sighs> I lived and died by the Sonic series, honestly. Like I just had those in heavy rotation constantly. So I don't even know that there's a favorite out of those because there would be weekends where it's just like, you know what? I'm just playing two through 3D Blast. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> just like go through. <laughs> so I don't know that I had, and you know, like we weren't necessarily like the wealthiest family when I was growing up. So it would be like a matter of like getting rentals or like games at Christmas or on my birthday. So it would always just kind of like matter what the financial situation was, if I was getting new games or not. So some, I just managed to find ones that I really liked and could replay them endlessly and find every last thing in them. And, you know, once I'd beaten something all the way through, it's like, okay, well now I got to learn the rest of the stuff. And so I go try to find all the extra puzzles or whatever. So, um, yeah, the Sonic series was pretty, pretty big informative as far as that goes. Super Mario RPG was another one that my friend and I just, yes. we, we tried to find every single thing. I, we had a dog eared Nintendo power guidebook for that thing. For that game oh my goodness we just try to to find every little nook and cranny we could explore on that so yeah sonic series for genesis and uh probably super mario rpg and chrono trigger on the on the snes you're bringing back so many <laughs> memories for me just so you know i also live <laughs> in the 90s still like all the time not no. not just not just video games but music like it's still and 1998 shows. in your head <laughs> exactly exactly it's still i'm still in high school or right. elementary school and I remember you're, you're bringing back this memory for me, which is like, I, I do remember there used to be like, you could rent video games. I could rent yeah. SNES games and our family wasn't the wealthiest either. So my brother and I would get the games and we would like, just try our best to, because uh, you only, you only rent them for like two or three days. I mean, it costs more. If you you have get to them for like longer. the weekend, right? But you gotta yeah. like, you gotta do your best to get the strategy guide Nintendo power, uh, mm-hmm. whatever it is, there wasn't really the internet back then that early for us. Exactly, so it was yeah. just like, you got to just try to beat the game super fast. And there's also mm-hmm. a strategy. Cause like there's some games like RPGs that take longer to play. So you wouldn't rent these. You would like borrow them from a friend or our neighbor. Exactly. And there are some games like, I guess, street fighter or like Sonic. Okay. You I could get, probably try to, or you get that them. sweet dinosaur fighting game, primal rage. And yes. Clown like <laughs> with your friends all weekend. Yeah. And I'll, I'll never forget either, like when I got, I got really into, uh, so I started playing Magic in the 90s, but I got really okay. into this other uh, card game, the Star Wars CCG, which was like really, really huge back Do then. I have a story for you. Go and and I, I traded in my, my like Chrono Trigger, like mint condition <gasps> cartridge with like the, the, the box <laughs> and the map, like just for, just for Star Wars CCG cards. I also remember trading in my dual lens for Star Wars CCG, which... I had to get them the all back later. The audience cannot see my eyes bugging out right now. And he's like, no, I just traded this Chrono Trigger game, like pristine in boxes. 
for a bunch of cards. Yeah, it's just doing, oh no. <laughs> biggest regret of my life. But what, what's what's your story? <laughs> what's in your mind? Um, uh, so when you mentioned the Star Wars TCG, it just cracks me up. So I was living up in Seattle, and like I, I was in Magic at this point, like but not like not I in. Am yeah, and I was I was in, but I wasn't in. In it was and- around you. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. It was, it was, it was surrounding. It was slowly, you know, starting to suffocate me. And, uh, my, my husband and his friend were over and we're just, so what we would do, because this was like really, I mean, you know, magic was still popular. It was still a big thing, but like you could still sneak out to like a yard sale and get a box that may had some, maybe had some treasures in it. So mm-hmm. we would always troll Craigslist on the weekends and see if there was anything, like we'd just look for magic, TCG, whatever, and see if we could just go hit a, yard, a garage sale, a yard sale. And if it was just like, just people that are just trying to get rid of stuff, you know, maybe it's their kids' cards, maybe we, we get some sweet scores. So <laughs> we're going <laughs> through the list. And these two clowns, they love Star Wars. Like I was basically married to Star Wars. I know all the, all this like lore I don't need just because it was talked around. It was like in my presence so much. So as we're looking through the things, they find, you know, three hours south in Vancouver that there is some guy selling this insane collection of Star Wars TCG cards Mm -hmm. for like 300 bucks. To me, this means nothing because I'm like, this isn't really still like a supported game, right? And they're like, doesn't matter. So they're looking through some of the list of what he had and he attached some pictures in the binder and they're just freaking out. So it's like noon. We're just like, well, what are we doing? So we load into the car. We drive three hours to go meet this guy at like a Burgerville, check out his collection, buy it, and then drive right back to Seattle. It was a six-hour round trip for absolutely nothing. I'll never forget this because I now have my husband and his best friend in the back of the car. I'm literally chauffeuring them, and they're just yelling about cards in the back, talking about, oh, we've been and then, you know, going off on these tangential, like, well, this was mentioned in this one novel, but it's going to be, it's not going to be canon anymore. It's going to be. (laughs) I'm like, I just need to focus on driving. So I'm going to do that. (laughs) It's like every time I hear the Star Wars TCG, that's the first thing that pops into my head. It's like driving to Vancouver. (laughs) It's, it's crazy. Like, by the way, I'm a recovering Star Wars fan. Okay. Like I used to have all (laughs) these cards. I, I played Star Wars TCG competitively. So I grew up in Canada. And oh, no in, in, okay. in British Columbia, actually in Vancouver, right. near Seattle, okay. right? So right, right. I remember one time for like a Star Wars regional CCG tournament, I had my dad fly with me to Calgary just so I could play in it. And oh actually, that was my peak as a collectible card game player because I've, I've never gone to that height ever again. You've never been there and since, yeah. It, it was just it's kind of embarrassing actually like i think i peaked like in the 90s and i've never gone back to that and like i remember like I think i'll that, never I, tell anybody you peaked in high school don't worry it's cool it's okay i i, I want to say that i peaked in high school I, I'm, I'm okay with that at least from a from a card game perspective right gotcha and and so i used to have like i used to do the craziest things for star wars i used to think about star wars decks when i was at school kind of like what people do with magic now and commander decks yeah, but yeah. i would do it for for that i had all the action figures but you know what when star wars 9 came out i didn't watch it for a full year so that just tells you how how burnout so that's I am. the that is the last one the, the, the last, last one last. yeah i don't okay. even remember the okay. name that's that's how disconnected i am from star wars now no but i, I had all I, yeah. I was like basically the two people in the backseat of your car back then where i knew all the I lore i read all the the nerdy like star wars novels the novelizations oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh man, that was like, 
dredging up my past. Anyway, it's not about me. Uh, <laughs> but but it's it's nice to know we're kind of from the same period where we have some nostalgia towards the 90s. Oh, for I sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, where, where exactly did you grow up? What part of the U.S.? So I grew up in Northern California um, in uh, Grass Valley, Nevada City. It's this tiny little pair of mining towns up in um, the foothills. And uh, yeah, I was born in the Bay Area. And then my family moved up there and I, I grew up there and had been there as long as I could remember. So I don't have any like memory of the Bay Area, but all my family was down there. So we'd go off and, and um, yeah, I lived in like the tiniest little towns. I think even to this day, the county doesn't have a hundred thousand people in it. And I want to say there's like two high schools, maybe there's three. I can't remember if one of them is like in our county or the one neighboring, but yeah, it was a really very small town existence and growing up kind of experience. So it was basically like school living out, you know, like my dad had a ton of acreage and it's like, I didn't ride a bike anywhere. Cause I had a horse. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. And no neighbors because nobody was nearby. We were super isolated. So, um, yeah, it was just a really, like, it was a very small town thing. Like going to Reno was a big deal. That's a big city. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it was definitely like the very small town rural experience. So, but when you were growing up in that environment, did you think that you wanted to get out of that? Like, how did you feel when you were younger about it? I mean, it, it never, it, it, it's a place that's rural, but it doesn't feel like it's isolated. Like as you grow, you're just like, oh, well, you know, Sacramento's an hour away. Reno's an hour and 15 minutes. Like, so there's opportunities and, you know, almost all of us would take big weekend trips to San Francisco at some point. So it would never felt like it was this inescapable place. Right. It was just very small, very quaint, but Hey, a much bigger metropolitan area is like an hour drive away. So it wasn't that I had this like desperate need to get out. I just knew I needed to, to be like a more rounded person. (laughs) Like there's only so much to offer in a, in a a community like that. And that's fine. Um, it was very much a, this place is great, but I think I got everything I could out of here for an 18 year old. Cause there's not much of a scene for that age group. So it's time to go. <laughs> and every time I go back, I mean, obviously I visit fondly and it's interesting seeing how it's grown on its own since then. But, um, yeah, it was never like, uh, at least to me, it was never a suffocating small place of like, Oh my God, I have to get out of here. It's like, man, I have a great home base. Cool thing. I'm a mountain person. I'm going to go check out somewhere else. And that was kind of the, the MO for everybody. We all like leave. So what was your, what was the thing that you like to do you know, when you were younger, was it other than playing Genesis or Super NES? Like, did you enjoy the horseback riding? Did you? Oh yeah. I just like, if, if, so I, my folks were divorced and I always did one week off one week on. So if I was someone who managed to forget to pack up my Genesis and didn't get to bring it to me, bring it with me to the other parents' house. I mean, there was plenty of outdoors. My mom was closer in town and there would be like other kids around there. So, you know, just go play in the street or out in the forest and Hopefully somebody has a watch and we're home on time. Uh, and my dad does, which was my more rural. Um, I just go hike outside and just kind of go off on my own. And, you know, luckily never got like a snake bite or something. Cause I just forge off on a path and dad would just expect me home at some point during the day. And that's pretty much what would happen. I just go walk around in like BLM land that was behind our so would you say that you, you grew up quite independent, like just in terms yes, of very much so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And where'd you go for, for college after you're 18? 
Um, so I went to the local community college first. Uh, I went to Sierra College, both in Rockland and Grass Valley, and then ended up going to University of Nevada in Reno. Okay. And what did you study? Political science and French. Political science and French. Okay. Uh-huh. Which is why I'm a bench jeweler and like, quote unquote, influencer now. Nothing makes sense. These were not opportunities available to me when I was going to school. How would you describe your college experience? Was it was it good overall? Yeah. Oh, it was great for me. I did a couple of courses of study abroad, both through uh, like work study and just saving up every penny I could. And then um, my great grandmother had set money aside for like all of her great grandkids, which I think ended up being more than she anticipated because they were That's good. Us. And yeah. um, so one of those got used for a semester abroad and then the other one um, I just like worked and saved for and did that. So uh, it was, I feel like it's pretty typical. I was actually like thinking about it the other day and it's like, man, I don't really remember a lot of my college experience. And it wasn't because I was out drinking and partying every weekend. It was just, it was so normal, I guess. Like it just felt like I was just going to school in a different place. Like I'd work at the bookstore. I'd go take classes. I'd go back to the bookstore and work until like that place was closed. I was renting. I didn't stay at the dorms cause it was too expensive. <laughs> so I was renting like a friend's office like in their house for 300 bucks a month because that's the best I could do because before that I was commuting an hour and a half a day up through you know the Sierra Nevadas to get to school like four days a week so it was very I I, like it's all present but nothing really stands out it was very much just like wrote show up go to class go to your internship show up to drumline every now and again and go home. And then somehow I was working on campaigns and went back to school. And I like those, those couple of years are just kind of a strange blur. And again, it wasn't from drinking and partying because I couldn't afford to. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, just from the way you described it, I feel like you sort of under, you're underselling yourself. It sounds like to me that you're, you were quite disciplined in like going through and making sure that you, you went to all the classes and you, you're probably a fairly good academic uh, student, if I, if I can imagine. I, I catch on everything. I would say that I'm very bright, but I don't, I'm not necessarily disciplined in like producing results for it. So like I was always terrible with homework. I was like, why would I do this if I already know the materials? So I would like get absolute, just terrible grades on like my quarterly progress reports. And I'd tell my parents, don't worry about it. I still haven't taken any of my finals. And then the tests would come around. I'd just crush them. And then it was like, it'll all balance out and be average students. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I guess even back then you were questioning sort of like the system as it were. Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. It was very much a, uh, I know I don't need this and what's a permanent record. So you know what, who cares? I'm going to do something else instead. Like I got the material didn't help with math. I'm terrible at that. Um, except for statistics. That was the only math class I ever did well in. And, um, which is very important for poli sci, I imagine. Absolutely. Right? I was, because that was the thing. It was so funny. It was, it's totally resonated with, with, with me, excuse me, because it was so practical. Like it were these long word problems and it's like, oh, okay. Well, and your bonus question is, you know, why would this shipment weigh less than the other? They're the same product, except one's diet. It's like, well, cause that one doesn't have any sugar. Like it, <laughs> that has nothing to do with math, but it was like, well, duh. I mean, it's just, that's, that's how it is. So when it became something I could see an application for, I would be much more interested in it. But it's like the, you know, just like esoteric, okay, we'll figure out X. It's like, but why? 
what do I need that for? Just show me how to do the work. I don't, I don't need to do the work because this is not where I'm gonna. You know. So yeah, for better or worse, I could have been, a, I probably could have been a much better student if I'd like tried to focus, but I didn't think it was important. So I just didn't. <laughs> what was your uh, sort of longer term goal when you went to college and you studied political science and French? Did you go in there thinking like, I want to get a job in, I want to work in politics or? Oh, I had a, I had a whole plan. I was going to work at the state house in Sacramento. I was going to, or it was that, or be like a, a, a translator somewhere. No, that was, ne- <laughs> okay. I don't know what that, like, that was the whole thing. It was like, oh yeah, I could just live somewhere abroad. Maybe I'll work at an embassy. Oh, this would be perfect. Yeah. That never, that never came to pass. It was, it was really interesting because originally too, like I was dead set on going to school in California and as we were working out financials, it was like, guess I'm not going to school in California <laughs> and ended up in Nevada. So it was just kind of like once that monkey wrench got thrown into things, which of course was not like it was a perfectly, you know, great place to go to school. I ended up completely falling in love with, with uh, Nevada. So, yeah, it was it was very much like, oh, I'm going to have it. I'm going to be a double major. I'm going to end up doing this. So it was gonna, like I was very much like leaning on international relations you know, working in an embassy somewhere and being like, oh, okay, well, French will get me there. I, obviously that's not how these things work. And as time went on, it just became more and more like, okay, well, I'm doing like, I keep ending up in like American political systems and all this other stuff for school. And so it was never like the goal to be in politics per se, but more like adjacent with the whole international working things. Cause I wanted to travel all the time and I wanted to, you know, like adopt more languages that uh, discipline I didn't have would have come in real handy on that part. <laughs> but, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, um, that was always kind of the, the original intent was to do like IR travel and embassy related stuff. And that obviously is not where I am, but that's okay because, you know, it's, it's fun to venture off the path. <laughs> I think so. I think, I think life is, I'm going to guess for a majority of people, it's not, it's never what we imagine. People change their, professions or careers all the time. I don't know yeah. the numbers on that, but so uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a little surreal how that kind of comes to pass too because you know oh man, I was so sure of this when I was 17, but I was also an absolute idiot when I was 17. <laughs> so yeah. I think most of us looking, looking back, back it's yeah. just like we don't really know what we want to do. So Oh yeah, and it's so weird that we expect people to have any kind of like inkling like obviously there are some folks that like it, they find something that clicks and they can just walk down that route. They've, they, they got it. They're happy. They're good. That, that rules. I feel like for most people, you have no idea who you are until your mid twenties anyway. Like how yes. the hell are you supposed to like go to college and be like, well, I'm going to do this. Like, no, you're not. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. Like it's fine to go in and kind of like, you know, I was telling my brothers, like go to community college first and see if there's anything that you actually like. Mm-hmm. Cause maybe you don't, you just go to a trade school and you make really good money and have a great job and a great life, but you don't have a degree and that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. Cause like, it's not for everybody and it's turning more and more into just like the next high school diploma, except you also get debt with it. Like yeah. when I first moved up to Seattle, it was like, okay, well we're hiring for a receptionist at $10 an hour college degree requires like to answer phones. Right. Stop. Like I can't pay my debt with this. So mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's all a journey, right? <laughs> it, it is. It's become a baseline, like just having a, at least yeah. in the U S and I think same in Canada as well, just having a college or university degree is like a minimum, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily open you up to, um, to all the right. possibilities. So exactly. I agree. Cause then what was your favorite, um, 
Did you have a particularly memorable course or a professor in college? I had to take an energy politics and policy class. And I think that was probably one of the most like eye-opening and informative ones that I took, which was basically like, here's how the United States has been god awful everywhere else. Okay. <laughs> and not in like the, you know, oh, go to hell with this country, but just a, a very good look. Like we, you know, focused a lot on the fall of the Shah in Iran and um, just how energy politics have just like dominated so many things in so many ways just to have manufacturing power to have any kind of like superiority you need to fuel it one way or the next and the way those things kind of played out obviously this course was a very long time ago everybody for those who were like why can't you remember this if it was so formative because it was a long time ago I haven't worked in that since (laughs) but um I just remember the discussions we would have. And it was one of those classes where, you know, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't like Socratic method where you're all going to sit in a circle and your teacher's just going to blindside you with something. But it was a lot of go ahead and see what you find online and then let's sleuth on it. It's like, oh, oh no. So he'd give us subjects to like, go, go research stuff. Let's see what most of you come up with and let's see where things are accurate, where maybe they're obfuscated by whomever is, you know, data you're receiving and what we can kind of suss out for it. So it was, it was just a, a really cool way to kind of approach an incredibly complex subject by having people go and find different sources of information that we all had to come together collaboratively and be like, well, let's suss out what we can about what actually happened, why this information might be biased. Here's all these other ways that you could look at it or the geopolitical ramifications because this country did this one thing, but it actually helped out another place. And it was, it was a very fascinating, very enlightening class. That actually sounds like something that I would, I would love to take. I mean, it just feels like a lot of the times now, like people have at the risk of generalizing, like people have lost the ability to sort of think critically in that, in that sense. Right. Or, yeah. or we kind of, we kind of just learned it, but we threw it away. We throw it away. Yeah. I yeah. feel like one of the things, I mean, another class that I took was um, this, hilariously, this professor from Berkeley would just get like bored and teach once a week at my community college. And he had a, prof- a, a, critical nice. thinking, a philosophy yeah. of critical thinking class. It was phenomenal just going through the different, you know, like styles of argument, different fallacies for him, but then just the basic of like, okay, here's a statement. You can take it at face value. You can further analyze it. If we further analyze it, what are we looking at? How, what, what parts of this are there even, where do we start to pick it apart? If there is anything to pick apart. And so the, you know, having basically a college course and like, here's why you can't trust Google right off the bat. <laughs> Like, just don't look at the top answer, right? Sure. It was actually really nice. It was really cool. And so having that, even now, all these years later, passing some of that stuff onto like my brothers or <laughs> when things get rough, the rest of my family, like, okay, yeah, but look who published this. Are you really going to believe these guys as your unbiased source has been something that I wish was like an elementary slash middle school slash high school course of like. Not, we're not going to tell you how to think, but maybe here's how to look at the information you're getting and have a better assessment on it to see where you're going to go with it. Because, you know, not everything's so black and white. <laughs> Speaking of not everything black and white, I mean, what you described here, like, do you apply this to Magic the Gathering discourse somehow? I find that there can be a lot of polarizing issues in Magic too, right? I think the biggest, well, I mean, yes and no. I feel like in the grand scheme of things, a lot of the polarizing stuff breaks down to our social interactions with one another, how we look at things, what our own values are. Magic's just like the medium in which you might be expressing it. Yeah. 
but you know, like in the grand scheme of things, it is just a, it, it's a game. You can learn plenty of things from it. You can glean a lot of things about people's styles there, you know, like ways they interact, everything like that. As far as like actually polarizing issues in magic, it's like, do you, okay. In the grand scheme of things, how does this affect your life? Huh? But <laughs> as far as like applying that kind of stuff to it, I don't usually, because again, I, I look at it, not like I'm uninvested in it as a hobby, but it's like, this is not something that would be in the, the realm of concern of like, I am not secure on my housing or what I'm going to eat next or it's different you know, levels. How, yeah. yeah, exactly. So as far as like where it falls in that, it's not in the base hierarchy of needs for me. But mm-hmm. w- since those are covered and I'm fortunate enough to not have to worry about any of those, then yes, I can start looking at magic as being like, well, since this is something I'm so heavily involved in, these things do affect me or, you know, have effects on other people I care about or play with or whatever, then of course it becomes something that you, you know, like pay more attention to as far as like applying the critical thinking stuff to it. Well, I mean, I think you should do that with pretty much every facet of your life is try to look at things more than one lens to make sure you're giving yourself the best opportunity to gather more information and make an informed decision. But yeah, I try to honestly not get too in the weeds in it, both for my own mental health and for remembering that like, I'm here to enjoy this. And yes, it's possible to be aware of things that I wish were fixed that are better. And it's also okay to occasionally remove myself from that and be like, I just want to sit down and play with my friends and whatever implications of like what's going on in the greater community ecosystem can be on pause for a second. Like Mm -hmm. that's okay. So I just, I try to be mindful that like, this is all of this is still meant as a way for me to relax in as much as like not be stressed about it (laughs) relax. Obviously like I'm loud and animated and have a good time when I'm doing this, but to, to, you know, this is, this is meant as, as something that's enriching as a disconnect from any concerns or worries that might be affecting me elsewhere in my life. Mm -hmm. So I try to just be mindful of that, of not letting too much of what's happening remove me from feeling that way about the game. I think that's a really good perspective. I'm asking about this because I, I feel like being one of the faces of magic or one of the faces of commander, you must be I can't even imagine. You must be bombarded with things all the time. Like I'm, I'm just saying, a random person will will probably just say, Olivia at the next. Uh, I don't know exactly what you guys do at the the keg, but like the yeah. commander advisory group. But like you guys have some influence over <laughs> legality of certain cards or uh, how the format shapes up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you must be bombarded all the time with a lot of people saying probably with good reasons too. like, you know, this, I hope you guys can do this. I hope you guys can do that. But it might start to feel like magic is a a job for you, maybe more than it is a game once you're in that role. So I'm I'm wondering how you feel about that in general. I I mean, I agree with that. But at the same time, like I don't, I try not to allow myself to be like, I'm burdened by this because this is a spot I, I took up voluntarily. I can leave it any time. So the fact that I'm willing to put myself here, means I have to be like on any day that could be, you know, like maybe I'm having a bad day and it's, it's like, oh, this is the last thing I want to deal with. This is the last thing I want to hear about. Okay, Olivia, that's fine. So you're not going to reply to this DM today, maybe because you're feeling a little off, but I was willing to take this position on. 
I would, I, you know, like accepted the responsibilities that come with it. And one of those was communicating with the, you know, the players at large as best they can and taking that feedback, remembering that even, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate that everyone that's, you know, spoken with me about stuff like that has been extremely nice and reasonable and not terrible to me, but, um, you know, like people are invested in this. This does mean things. This is, this is, you know, a a medium for a lot of us to have created friendships and memories and have these experiences and have, you know, something else besides just existing day-to-day that can give us a purpose and give us some meaning and some, some ways to connect. So no matter how I might be feeling, if I'm annoyed or whatever, not, and I'm not even saying a feedback, I just mean that my own life or some things that are going on in general, I, I try to be really mindful that my taking this on my having this sort of feedback was something I asked, not necessarily asked for, but I accepted. And so I don't get to take, I, it, it's not for me to take out on anybody else or to be like, Oh, this is such a job. It's like, if I get to that point, I, I would not hesitate to step back and be like, I want to continue loving this. And it just feels like a burden out there. Are plenty of times where it's been like, Hey, <laughs> might take a day off the stream, or I'm just not, I'm going to just delete Twitter from a phone. Cause I want to not get stuck in the negativity churn. That's so easy because yeah. even with things you love, you can find things that are, that you want improved that could be better or that you have legitimate and complete criticism of. And it's really easy to get mired in all the stuff that you want better and, and lose sight of what you already like. So mm-hmm. I try to be really mindful of that and uh, keeping it on the, you know, these are the things that keeping it firmly in the column of things that I love and not things that I feel are a burden. Yeah. So I, I don't feel like it's a job as much because of that, because it's like, these people are voicing concerns to me or coming to me with ideas and issues and stuff because they give, they they give a shit because they care. Um, nobody's coming to me because they're like, Oh, I'll just troll by asking about this commander. It's like, Hey, this has been a real problem for us at our tables. Hey, this is something that, you know, I think could be made better or Mm -hmm. that would bring a better sense of, you know, clarity to these things. So other people can enjoy them more why would you want to dunk on people like that? Why would you want to treat them like they're being a burden or treat their input? Like it's a burden. So because of that, I try to just be very mindful of like, if they're even bothering to reach out, it's be just, we'll best faith it. We'll say that they are coming out here because they care and I need to treat them. Like I would want to be treated for that. So I try to never look at it as a job. (laughs) How many years have you been on the advisory group? Uh, how long has I think it been? It'll be, what was it? November of 2019 is when I got asked to be okay, on, I think. So that's just, just over two years. Just if I, over. My yeah. math is also not yeah. very good. So uh, I'm, and I'm neither, it's my math and my memory is kind of spotty these days. You know how it is getting yeah. old. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty sure it was at Command Fest Seattle's when that got announced. So that was November of 19 because it was right before. Okay. So in the two years, has there ever been any point in time where you felt like you were close to wanting to step down? I mean, I, I, this sounds like such a negative question, no, but I, I mean, obviously all. you're still involved in the AG yeah. or the CAG, so it's mostly <laughs> good. Like it's 51% yeah. good. But uh, <laughs> what, what, did you have any like low points or any 
any points where you thought where you you were reconsidering this sort of uh, role? I think I, I can't say that I did. And I think the only thing that kind of came up was just um, like, you know, 2020 was a rough year for a lot of people. So it was much more like life in general. And just like, do I have the bandwidth for this? Do I have the like commitment in my head to stick with something that's going to matter like this was the only ever wobbling I've had on it. It's never been because of the game, because of the community, because of the, you know, the workload or anything like that. It was much more like, do I have the bandwidth to do anything than just kind of like make it through one day to the next right now? (laughs) So it was never anything game related. It was more just like life's a mess right now for pretty much everybody. So do I need one more thing that could potentially become a stressor or do I just kind of like, this is my routine. This is what I'm doing. We nose to the grindstone. We're going to make it through this. It's going to be fine in the end, whenever that is. Um, so I, I, it's never been like a low point where I thought I needed to leave because like the community was terrible or it was too much work or it was anything like that. It was very much a, this is, this has been a year. Do I have Mm -hmm. like, can I hang with all the commitments that I want to keep? And that, so it would just be much more of a self-assessment of like, okay, this is in the stay pile. This is in the go pile. And it always was in the stay pile. So, so give me a bit of keg inside baseball. Like what is it actually like to, to work within this group and what are the interactions like, and how do you, do you guys have weekly meetings? Do you have like someone to take notes? Like what's it like in there? (laughs) So we have, um, we have a group discord that we kind of have like a rolling conversation and as things come up, which isn't always often, it's also plenty of shit posting and memes. Like we, you know, just like say, oh, Hey, found this article really interesting. Thought the rest of you might want to see it. Um, we have quarterly meetings with the rules committee, but like, like, again, like I said, we have a kind of a rolling discord. So like if something comes up or you just think of something or you get feedback, we can just kind of like act on it as we see, but by act on it, I mean, everybody can read it and be like, oh, okay. Do we think this is something that we should discuss at a quarterly meeting? (laughs) Like that kind of action. Uh, You know, it's, it's a group of people with a bunch of different experiences, a bunch of different backgrounds and a bunch of different ranges on styles of play of what they want to do with it, how they want to see the format. So it's never like the CAG coming to a consensus on things. It is, you know, the RCs asking us and all of our different methods and ways of looking at magic of experiencing it. What do you guys think about, you know, let's say for example, what, what are thoughts on Golos? And we'll discuss it. We'll have, you know, kind of a, a, an open conversation, but the rules committee are the ones that make the decisions. We're there to do what our name says, advise. Oh, this hasn't been a problem in my play groups. I haven't been hearing this. This has been a problem in my play groups. I have been hearing this. We give feedback as best we can and say, Hey, if you know, we're feeling particularly strongly for one thing or the other, or even kind of apathetic about it, we'll say that, say why. And the rules committee goes and makes their decision. So we provide input. We try to, you know, like if sometimes we all agree with each other, other times we do not. And we just provide that kind of feedback of like being not necessarily signposts, but like, Hey, we have the, uh, a you know, range of different experiences. We all have our, we all have for the most part, like a community. Some of them have overlaps, some don't and just try to give them as much information as they can before they make decisions on whatever it is they're discussing. Um, other things, you know, we talk about like the health of the format, other ways we can get involved, you know, people that 
had great insight on something like, oh, hey, we should really read this. There was someone not long ago uh, that came out with like going over every list that was on the band card on the band card list and mm-hmm. like had like a brief little like, you know, a par- couple of paragraphs of thoughts of why, if it was good or not. And it was just like, hey, this is really fascinating. We should look at this, like check it out and talk about these things. Okay, well, is there anything we want to consider unbanning? So it's it's a lot of discussion, but for the CAG, there's no action really because that's not our job. That's not what we're there for. We're there to advise. We are there to provide feedback that is, you know, distilled, but not simply from one, one perspective. So we try to do the best we can and just keep this format, you know, healthy. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, such a fascinating domain for me, at least, because yeah. I feel like, I feel like a lot of, okay. So <laughs> let me just lay it out here. <laughs> My, yeah. This is this is not this is not about me. I want to say that again, even though I. It's fine. Yes, we know. It's, it's fine. the challenge I see with Commander is just that everybody has a different sense of fun, right? Because yep, when you're playing absolutely. competitively, when you're playing competitively, it's only about I want to win. So yep. it's kind of like Street Fighter. I don't know if you ever played it, but it's <laughs> like <laughs> you, you have people like complain that like someone's like spamming this like certain move, but if the move helps me win. I'll use the move Why until they I? ban yeah. the move, right? Until they exactly. ban the move. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think Commander is is a lot more uh, nuanced because there's yes. like different levels to it. And there's all these memes about like how you have to agree with your opponent, like what, how you want to win before you start playing the game <laughs> and, and things like that. Like I can't kill you on turn three. I can kill you on turn four, but not turn two. Um, right. So I feel like that's very, just very, it's an order of magnitude more difficult to figure out what works and what doesn't work in this game because commander to my understanding is just like a rule set right it's basically a Uh a board game with magic the gathering cards so i'm just wondering the question here is like how do you how do you balance that because i think there's a lot of intellectual arguments for why we don't want sol ring or some powerful commander card but there's also other arguments for like this is actually fun or this is not that unfun or this is kind of like interesting. So how do you personally see that dynamic or conflict, if you will? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, the biggest stumbling block, is this, this burst in popularity has made it all the more difficult, right? Because, and I'm not, I don't mean it in the sense of like, oh, well, people are coming from competitive formats and ruining things. That's not it at all. There are people that play very high powered commander that wouldn't even qualify as CDH. Like they'll play decks that aren't, you know, in the CDH meta that wouldn't stand a chance at those tables, but are still not what most people would think of as like the casual, Hey, no one's really popping off until at least turn seven. There's always going to be a high end. That's fine. There's always going to be a low end. That's fine too. The biggest struggle for a commander, I think is the social aspect of it, of not having these mismatched expectations, because it is like you were saying, you know, before we started recording really that you feel very spiky, like you're very focused on like getting the combo and being optimal. The thing is, is that that's okay. And there's a place for that in commander. And there's a place for people like me who are like, you know what YOLO? Yeah. There's probably a better way to play this. I'm sure I did this out of order. It's fine. I don't care. I'm here for the, the game is basically like secondary to me hanging out with these people, right. having, having an experience and making something fun out of it. So really, I think the biggest thing that we're struggling with as a format is having those mismatched expectations and that 
we don't really have a set of definitions that can be objective. My casual could be somebody else's high power. It could be somebody else's CDH could be it like, you know, when we say casual, what do you mean? Do you mean it in the fact that like, there's no competitive tournament structure that you're following? You're not having a win loss record, but you're still out to get the W in the game. Do you mean that, you know, Hey, maybe I like actually F six, put my cards down. I'm going to go make dinner and like work on that while this game's going on. So I'm not super invested. I might miss a trigger or two. We're all going to be fine with it. We don't have this, uh, a really clear set of definitions from which we're working on, which makes things all the more difficult to convey. So like when someone sits down at a fresh pod, you know, and says, okay, well, Hey, what are we doing for power level? They could all say seven and they're all wildly different decks. And maybe none of them are sevens to the other people. <laughs> like, the biggest, the biggest thing is that communication. So, you know, you're seeing a lot more people are like, oh, have your social contract discussion, have this rule zero thing. It's meant to keep people from thinking someone that's not doing anything wrong is being a pub stomper or someone that's not doing anything wrong is deliberately trying to slow down the game or be like, you know, this weird phantom fourth that's not really participating the problem with having such a range of play styles of expectations of power levels within one umbrella is that there's going to be a lot of times where maybe expectations don't line up and maybe play styles don't line up. Like you can give somebody, like if I were to give Gavin there, Hey, one of my decks, he's going to play it really stinking well, like time. And again, he's not going to miss triggers. He's going to see where the interactions are. Very strong technical I, player. Exactly. And I could play the same deck and still hold my ground, but maybe have a completely different way of going about it. The biggest problem is that we have this language barrier of how to clearly convey what everybody's thinking when it comes to this stuff. Like somebody who just plays a lot of interaction could be considered, you know, being that jerk that doesn't let anybody play magic. It's like, they're playing perfectly fine. It's just not a good match. And it's very difficult. I think for a lot of people. And especially, you know, like webcam games are tough. You may not have that chance to play with these people more than once. So you try as best you can. And then somebody just runs away with it. You think they're a jerk because they didn't convey clearly what they were doing, but maybe they did. And maybe it's just a bad match for the table. And it's you, you, the goal should be to prevent the feel bads where everybody sits down and they're like, well, I didn't have any fun. Mm-hmm again, this becomes wildly subjective and very difficult to kind of to mitigate, but the, the, the goal of all these discussions and of trying to, you know, I don't think when you sit down at a table and do the social contract thing, you need to explain how your deck's going to win. I feel it's very much a, Hey, this is a heavy token strategy. I normally pop off if I don't have too much interaction around turn five or six, (sighs) does that sound like it's too fast for this table? cool. I got something else that usually goes a couple more turns. Yeah. I don't think you need to sit there and be like, well, I run this many counter spells and I do this and I do that. It's like, well, okay, but I, mm -mm." you can, sometimes maybe you want to be in for a puzzle and be like, oh, you're playing stacks. How do I break it? Right. Cool. I just think that, you know, we're asking a lot of social interaction and if people have social anxiety or (laughs) like they just feel like they're never understood or that no matter what they try to clearly convey what they're doing, they feel like someone else isn't. I think communication is our biggest hurdle right now and that it would behoove both the CAG, the RC, 
content creators as they see fit to try to clarify what, if nothing else, what they mean when they say, hey, we feel this is high powered. Here's why. So at least we can start having this lexicon that we can all use and be like, oh yeah, well, I mean, like if you were to watch this one deck on the command zone, it's kind of like that. I'd call that a seven. Maybe you think it's an eight. I don't know. Just clarification of expectations, I think is, is the biggest hurdle because I don't think that people automatically assume that they're going to get pub stomped or that they're going to be at a terrible table every time. It just, it kind of happens and it doesn't have to be out of malice. I think that's the one thing is that like, you know, I remember when CDH was almost, at least in some of the circles I ran was synonymous with pub stomping. It wasn't that they were actually like, you know, this little sub format where they have their own meta. That's very clear. They have a clear set of expectations on what the play is, how the style is, et cetera, et cetera. But instead was just someone who came in with an absolute banger deck and would just clown a table and leave. I never found that to be the case. (laughs) So I feel like there's, again, communication is the biggest thing. And that's, and that's why you're seeing these discussions. You're hearing so much more about them is because we want people to walk away with a good time. And again, most of this comes down to, Hey, this is for a stranger pod. This is for, this is for an untested, untrusted group of people. And by untrusted, we mean like, you've never played with these folks and you right. you don't know like what their regular assessment levels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for, for untrusted play, we're saying these are why we have these rules. This is why we want to have the expectation of this discussion, because it's so easy to sit down at a table cold and walk away with a disappointed reaction. Not that you will every time, but it's, it's not hard for that to be the case. So trying to facilitate these discussions and let people know like, Hey, you know what, when you're with your play group, we've all like the rules committee's always said, don't listen to us. If you guys want to change something at your kitchen table, no one's coming down to enforce it and tell you you're not playing commander. The whole point is for these, you know, fresh pods, the webcam games, the thing, the pickup things that you're having at an LGS or at at an event. We want to facilitate helping those people have a good time consistently instead of like, I had one good game and everybody else was a jerk. We don't want that. Nobody wants that. I think that's where the prevalence for all these discussions is coming from. Cause like, if it's your, your home pod, like nobody cares, do your thing, have the best time play with, or whatever, you know, play with the banned cards that you think shouldn't be banned. Just remember when you sit down at a pod for the first time in an LGS, we're all going to try to go with the baseline commander rules that are on the webpage. So everybody is at least starting on the same page. Once you guys have had a game and you kind of sussed each other out and know how you feel, do whatever you want. <laughs> like That's the thing. We want people to have a good experience in those, those fresh games so that they can, find new pods. They can find new people. They can have new experiences. They can have, you know, better ones consistently and stay invested in the format because that's kind of the, the spirit of core is that we want people to have a good time. We're going to help each other find the best place to have that. So basically you're saying you don't have an issue with like it's an incredibly you- long answer. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Give me, give me. This my is what TLDR. The people want. People want maximum Olivia. So I'm, this <laughs> is probably going to be the biggest Humans of Magic episode ever, just because oh, you're on it, and it's going to be great. And the one, the only thing I'm going to follow up on from what you just said, which is yeah. all great, by the way, is um, <laughs> so you don't have an issue with people like going off and forming their own legality. It sounds like that's sort of the 
the intent is like there can be i don't know schism groups of uh i mean like i the thing is is like it's not that i'm saying like everybody should form a giant schism and make their own rules committee like that's not it at all it's like if you and your three friends constantly are playing at a kitchen table you're doing your thing like at your lgs you guys meet up and whatever and you guys decide to introduce monarch and whomever is fourth you know like gets that or they get an extra jaw so they're not too far behind like people the the commander and i mean i'm i'm pretty certain like sheldon's been saying stuff like this all the time like again we're not there to go to your house and say you're not playing by the rules what the hell it's like we're giving you the guidelines and listen the whole rule zero thing is like hey i'm playing nahiri because i can are you guys cool with me running this planeswalker that doesn't say it can be my commander? Because I want to show you this is a really cool, flavorful win. Right. I roll zero Gristlebrand into my Liliana deck with the promise that since it's a banned card, if I play it and have a win con, I'm going to kill myself with Gristlebrand because it's a banned card. And that's technically not allowed in my deck. And this may be a new pod. So it's that we want to have a very firm guidelines of here's what commander is. We aren't trying to legislate you that you're not playing commander. If you, if you and your group have decided we're going to use band cards, we don't care. We're going to have a no band night. You're then, then do it. <laughs> you know, we want to give a good and solid, very clear first set of guidelines for untrusted play for when you're at an event, you guys can, everybody can fall back on the same thing that is very clear of like, this is what the ban list is. This is what the rules of commander are. We're not adding anything in for whatever reason, or, you know, taking anything out for whatever reason. Cool. We can sit down and jam. We have a baseline set of expectations. Once you've become trusted players and you guys know each other, you guys are comfortable as a pod. Do what you want. Right. Like you would with any magic, you know, like you don't have to play standard perfectly to, to tournament rules enforcement when you're at home. It's fine. Yeah. You should be enjoying it. And, you know, if you find enjoyment in the minutia of rules lawyering, good. There's a place for you here. And I wish you the best in finding Go other people become a the judge exact and, same way. Yeah. Yeah, be, <laughs> help us all out. Be a judge. And find a group of people that are like-minded and also enjoy that too, because then the four of you in your pod will get enjoyment out of being like, oh, wait, hold on. Let's talk about these interactions on the stack. All of that's good. Like there is a place for everybody. It's a matter of finding everyone's place where they can get the most enjoyment out of it and never like have to feel super antagonized or like they are a less than in their play style or that they are you know, doing something wrong for getting enjoyment out of it. That's the biggest crux of it. Like there are some folks I know that run like stacks exclusively mm-hmm. to me. I can't think of anything that would frustrate me more in a game. I wish them the best. I welcome them in our format. I probably won't sit down at a table with them more than once. Yeah. Doesn't make them bad people. It means that we have an incongruent experience. I would like to, for both of us to come away, enjoying it. I don't want them to have the feel bads that I'm walking away. Like this was such a stupid waste of my time, you know, like you don't want that for anybody. So it's a matter of everyone finding their spot and being able to find their spot and not have to feel bad about their play style, about how they do it. Because, you know, if we're trying to say commander is like this big welcoming format, well, we have to believe that and actually welcome people and be like, Hey, you know what? If you're playing heavy stacks interactions may not be the pod for you. Friends, two tables down. They love that shit. See if they got an open seat. You're going to have a great time. What's something that if you had a time machine, you could go back in time two years, you might tell 
the younger, two years younger Olivia about two years. the, the was... keg that is. Is there anything that you might advise the younger you when you first got started in the keg? Maybe something um, you know now that you might pass on. Don't be so nervous about it. I was super freaked out. Like I used to ask, like, is it okay if I appear on this? They're like, yeah, we're not your keeper. Like you sit on an advisory board. It's not like we're just, I was very, I like not scared, but I was just nervous about like reflecting badly on it. And they're like, no, we, we already know what you, what you do. It's fine. You're, you're in. <laughs> so I was like super nervous about like making appearances or doing this or saying that. And they're like, yeah, no, you don't have to be go for it. And I was like, oh, okay. So cool. I, it, you know, part of the reason why the people that get asked on there is because they have wide and varied opinions on commander. And for some reason, I almost like self-censored because it was like, you know, I thought it was a, it was an important thing. And like, obviously, you know, you're trying to not represent badly on your, your colleagues or on the format or anything. So I immediately got super paranoid. And I'd say like, now me would just be like, just, just chill out. It's fine. <laughs> just, just relax. So, so take yeah. yourself so seriously. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fine. It, it just seems to me like you have a good, you have a good foundation for doing something like that to be an advisor and to, to give your perspective. I mean, is it, is it difficult also just understanding the viewpoints of different magic players? I imagine there's a level of empathy to this that people may not realize, right? I think so a lot because, um, it's really easy, especially in some of the stuff to kind of just be hyperbolic or, you know, come across as like, I, again, have no experience with outside with magic outside commander. I have, I've drafted maybe twice. Mm -hmm. I've done some pre-releases. I think that's kind of it as far as like, I've never played standard. I've never played modern. I don't think I've like, there's a ton of formats I've never touched, which is both good and bad you could easily say, well, how can my, how, how much input could I have? I don't have anything to compare it to and everything. It's like, that is kind of one of the good things about mine is that yeah. I, that's kind of the point, right? I, Cause then you have other yeah, people for, at least for me, like I that. am from commit, like, this is my native experience for magic. Right. And the thing is, is like, it's okay that I don't have that perspective. There are other people that do on this advisory group. Like that's the whole point is that we are not homogenous in our backgrounds, in our experience with the game and how we perceive it and how we play it. So for that reason, I'm, I'm not super, you know, worried about that. It's actually pretty easy to see a lot of the other perspectives. Cause it's like, huh? Well, if I hate seeing again, not to pick on the, the, um, you know, meta, if I hate stacks, but I keep seeing it, well, there's obviously something to it. There's, there's a reason people like it. It's effective. Maybe you just, Maybe there's nothing you love more than making your friends at the table salty. And if that's the balance in your group, Godspeed. So like, it's actually pretty easy, at least for me to see like, okay, yeah, I completely get why there are people that want to play correctly, optimally every time. Makes perfect sense to me. Am I that person? No. So I'm going to give you the perspective I have, which is not that. But I haven't, I don't think there's anything where I've had a real stumbling block where it's been like, I don't understand how you could feel that way. I'm like, I understand how you could feel that way. I don't. Cool. I guess we're at an impasse there, but neither of us are bad people for that. So that's just, you know, like you want this for the format and I don't, and that's all right. So we're going to give different advice and that's all there is to it. I don't think it's particularly difficult to see how 
different people can get different levels of enjoyment from different things. Seems pretty normal to me. Yeah. So I, it's pretty easy to roll with. I don't, I don't think it's really hard to have a, a, a bit of empathy for, you know, how people can do things differently, want different things and hope for them and advocate for them. Have you had any heated moments with your keg peers at all without naming anybody? I won't name anybody. I did. I had a moment where it was like, okay, but have we heard ourselves talk? <laughs> Can we take a step back? Can we just take a step back? It's just yeah. like, it's, it's so easy because again, the group of people I'm working with with that are all so invested. They all care so much that it's really easy to get esoteric and kind of forget that like, Hey, there are people that play this that don't engage with us online at all. Mm-hmm. There are people that take part in this that aren't on Twitter, that aren't in YouTube comments, that aren't showing up as content creators. Like it's so easy to get in the weeds on some of this stuff because we get, we are all so invested. We all really do care and want this to be as good an experience and facilitate that as best we can for as many people as possible. So every now and again, there have been times where I'm like, hang on. Hey, I just want to throw this out there. Like we were talking about a um, clarifying a rule and it just came up that someone was like, oh, but everybody knows that. And I was like, I didn't, when I started, there are a ton of people like me now that are starting magic with commander that have reality check. Yeah. Right. That have no reason to know that. So yes, we should clarify it, not to talk down to people because obviously there are tons of entrenched players that are like, yeah, we know we don't need to worry about it. There's a lot of new people that we need to remember. There are a lot of people that may not be new, but aren't as invested in in it as we are. And we need to make sure things are clear and spelled out and, you know, make sense for that too. So I think the only times have ever been when it's like, we are too deep in the weeds and we're all forgetting that since we're all so invested, there are people at different levels. And maybe we need to take a step back and be like, Hey, if you're coming into this new without the knowledge that we already have, would you know this? If the answer is no, or maybe we should clarify it. That's not a bad thing. That's okay. So it's, it's, it's not that there's been anything where I'm like, what is wrong with said person? <laughs> nothing like that. It's more a, uh, Hey guys, we should probably, you know, let's bird's eye view this real quick. Cause we are in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not exactly the same thing, but I'm kind of reminded because I'm actually back in school now at part-time okay. I'm doing a business school, which is mm-hmm. uh, very much a generalist degree, but um, mm-hmm. I have uh, volunteered myself for the student council. And uh, there's a whole sort of dynamic that I never experienced before. I guess I had it before in works workplace situations, yeah. but I think inevitably there's a lot of emotions and feelings and people feel like they're not being heard or people feel like they're, there's many, many multitude of reasons. And I would imagine that this happens in any group where we are working with people on a regular basis, yeah. but I guess I wonder if you can talk about how maybe your, your past background prepares you better for this type of thing? Because I, I know you've been ex- involved in many different things. So I, it must help you somehow in your, in, in whatever you're doing now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think again, like the empathy factor is the big one, honestly, of just being able to like, kind of take yourself out of like, well, of course I get it. Why would we do that? It's like, yeah, but we're not talking about people that are invested like me. I think the biggest thing is 
I can't say that this isn't an experience a lot of people have had of being of taking a second and being like, oh wait, maybe I maybe maybe I should just look at this for another 30 seconds or try to, you know, like put myself in someone else's shoes. And I think that's honestly the biggest thing is just being able to to take a second and be like, okay, I know this is how I feel. I'm very invested. I'm very like set in this way. Let's do the thought exercise of if I was on the other side. And just to, just if for no other reason than to challenge yourself, because sometimes it's really hard, right? Like, even if you want to do a good faith, like I'll do a pros and cons list. It's like, is this really a con? Because here's why it's actually a pro. <laughs> it is really difficult to kind of like remove yourself from um, whatever it is that you've got in your head about what would be best or what's not and, and look at it from another, from another angle. And sometimes it feels super disingenuous to do it, but it's still a good thought exercise of just at least like, okay, well, maybe I really do feel this way, but let's, let's, let me throw myself some of my own, you know, quote unquote, well, not devil's advocate, devil doesn't need one. Um, just <laughs> throw, throw yourself some, some, you know, questions from the side that you may not be on if there's no other reason than to better articulate your own thoughts and your own position, but it'll give you a sense of empathy too, of just being like, okay, well, this is how I would respond to it. And this is how I feel writing it. You know, just try to round yourself out a bit more. Um, just being in some of the past lines of work I've had have kind of forced that on you, whether you want it to be there or not, just hearing other people's stories and, and, you know, how things affect them and how their reactions are to stuff like, it's, it's best to sometimes put your, your own thoughts in the, in the backseat and let someone else kind of drive a conversation. What are some of the highlights? Like what's, what's a moment or moments that you look back on maybe recent or maybe as far back as two years ago that you, you're really proud of? In what capacity? In the keg or just being involved in commander capacity. I mean, just being, as far as just being involved, like, honestly, like the Twitch streaming, doing the the web games and everything has been really fulfilling. Sometimes it's a little taxing, but only because like I'm exhausted from outside factors. Like my, the chat that I have is great and the people I have on are awesome. And it's really nice just kind of like being able to play with people that aren't present. Like they aren't at the same table, right? Like we're, you know, right. the webcam or Twitch. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, like, honestly, like it's kind of strange that just like broadcasting, fucking around with some friends is a source of pride, but it's like, there is a community that's developed from it. You know, my own is, you know, a couple hundred folks that show up for these things. And it's like, it's cool. It's our own little, like, you know, LGS vibe. And we just get to hang out and talk about stuff. And, you know, I'll ask them questions and on the discord, I'll ask for feedback and stuff for the, um, that people are wanting to pass on to the rules committee or just how they feel about the format. So it's been really nice to help facilitate those people feeling a sense of inclusion and that they have a voice and that, you know, like the format cares back as best you know, like for lack of a better way to say it, that, you know, whatever they're investing in wants to, to make sure that their investment is worthwhile of their time, of their emotions, of their, you know, efforts, their, their financial situation, whatever it may be. It's good to feel like I can help facilitate them getting some joy out of that. That's yeah. good. How long have you been streaming on Twitch? <sighs> Almost three years. I think it's gotta be something like that. Uh, when did I start? It was before the pandemic. It was way before. I want to say like May of 19, March, an M month. I don't know. Somewhere in the, in the first half of the year in 2019. Yeah. It was just, it started as just my play group. 
from Seattle and, you know, my, my, uh, husband and I had moved to Nevada and then we had one friend up in Seattle and another was in like New Mexico, I think. And we just wanted to keep playing because we did every Sunday anyway. So we're like, right. oh, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll webcam it. And so we got, you know, go to meet and no, we did it over discord. I think we just terribly aimed cameras at our battlefields. Like I had an, uh, uh, I Mac sandwiched between sandwich between two 12 packs of like diet Coke or something at an angle. So the camera's pointing straight down at the table. I had a wooden spoon with a webcam tied to the end of it stacked in a bunch of cookbooks, like cantilevered in there to, I mean, we just janked it up. So we eventually were like, Oh, what the hell let's stream it. We'll just do it. And so we did. And you know, we'd have, you know, 14, 15 people show up and it was just, we just clown around. So we started inviting other folks and just kept rolling with it. And then after the pandemic, it was like, Hey, this is the only way we can play anyway. So we're just yep. going to keep doing it ahead um, of your time as it were. I, I guess so. Yeah. It wasn't out of like trying to be a Twitch streamer. It was just like, we're, we're, we're delightful. Somebody else would enjoy this. So we just put it on the internet. Yeah. Hey, I mean, the, the best things are spontaneous, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But <laughs> it does make me wonder, though, like, because I've talked to a lot of Twitch streamers and how much of it now is is performance versus having fun? Like, you know, in the beginning, it was just like I'm doing the webcam with people and maybe the yeah. dozen people will be watching. Right. Right. But now it's like kind of an event, right? You kind of have to. I wouldn't say it's like game nights, but it's, it's something yeah. between. So how, how, how do you right. feel about that aspect of it? I think it, it's really interesting actually. And I think it's because we started without the intent of like making it a thing that the audience we gathered is kind of okay with that. Like there are days that I'm just real quiet. I'm exhausted from work. I'm, you know, have whatever else going on in my life and I still show up for the game. I'll still play. I still engage, but like some days your energy level is different and that's fine thankfully, because I think of just kind of how it all came to pass and that it wasn't meant to ever be like, we're going to make a Twitch program. It's going to be this, like the cast has completely changed. We have different people every week. Since it was never meant to be like a pri nobody's primary source of income or have this additional pressure on it, like we were doing it for fun. And because of that, the audience that's there is very understanding of that because sometimes, Hey, you know what? We're just not feeling it, but you said yes. And you want to hang out with your friends and like, ah, you're going to play. It's not going to be your highest energy. I'm pot committed. I'm going to show up, but I'm not right. Exactly. I'm yeah. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to screw you all over. I'm just not going to be a hundred percent today. That's all fine. So there's definitely still performance in it. Obviously like on our stream, we talk shit, we get salty and everything, but it's, it's performative in like, it stops at the game when the game's over. Like, I can't think of a time where I've quote unquote been salty or like even kind of like ran my mouth and actually been upset with the person afterwards. I'll always be like, Oh my God, GG's. It was so much fun. It's great talking shit with you while there's cards on the table, but otherwise once they're gone, like I love you, you're one of my favorites, no bad blood, no nothing. So it's not as bad thinking of it that way. Like there's still performance in it. Like our overlay has been cleaned up. We have sponsors now, but yeah nothing's really changed too dramatically. Like, I feel like if you go back, it's still us talking shit at each other, getting yeah. crazy when an explosive play happens. And then you're like, Oh God, I miss you guys. Okay. We'll see you on Friday. Bye. You know, before we log off. So <laughs> like it's, 
there's a bit more to it, obviously, because you know that there is an audience and there is something that you're like playing up to, like to a bit, because obviously, you know, you want to be fun and engaging and you want to, even if you're not having the best time, like at least chat with people or like interact with, you know, the folks that have bothered to show up. So um, there's a little bit of being mindful of that, of not like just be sitting there quietly and wasting people's time because who's going to want to watch that? You don't want to be in it. So I'd say that's like, as at least as far as us, that's the most the performance gets. Cause like, we'll all have bad days and we'll still show up and just try to make the most of it. And we'll have mm -hmm. great days and talk mad shit and have an explosive, hilarious game, you know, just like it is off stream. So we just try to stay authentic to that. In general, would you say that there's an Olivia Gober Hicks that is, there's an online persona versus an offline persona? How, how do you feel about that? I would say the online persona is accurate, but not complete. <laughs> like I am not, I like I, in the sense that like, I do not share everything I think, feel or do on the internet, nor do I ever want to, but the outlet of myself that you That'd see That would be scary there, if people did that, I think. But, but people do. I'm just not one of them. I like what, what you get on the internet is genuine. You just don't get everything. So there is an online offline as far as that goes, but it's not like, I, I've never heard somebody say, you're nothing like you are on Twitter. <laughs> Again, for better or for worse. Yeah. yeah. In the magic sphere, the Olivia that we're getting is the is the real Olivia, but in yeah, the magic that's, sphere, that's who right? you're gonna, if you sit down at a table with me, it's the same, it's the same person you're going to get there. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably why you're so uh, well-liked and one of the faces of commander. So. I mean, honestly, like it's just, it's, here's the thing. It's so much work to maintain a separate persona. It's easier to just be genuine and not terrible. <laughs> If I just do that, then I, it's, it's, it's that whole thing with like, if you never lie, you don't have to remember what you like. If you always tell the truth, you never have to remember what you lied about. I it, it's basically that as far as being a person online too, like, or being, I should say a personality, like someone, who was it? Somebody tried to say I was a celebrity. I was like, I'm a person of known and niche community. Like that's not at all. That no, you, you are a magic celebrity because I will. But again, a person of note in a niche community. Like it's not like anything that I, I refuse to let it go to my head. Cause there's nothing to go. <laughs> Well, I will venture that you have probably been recognized in a public place and out of nowhere. And just by that, you're probably a celebrity. I think that is probably one of the definitions according to Webster's oh, yeah. dictionary. I, I don't know. I'm just making that part up. <laughs> I mean, again, like I'm, I'm glad that it's, it's humbling that enough people find me either of interest or likable enough to follow and give a shit. And I'm grateful for that. But like, this is not anything that I set out for, right? Like, this was not a goal. At no, no point in not time, not when you know? were going to college. You're not like I'm gonna. No, become, oh my god. Well, that wasn't uh, a jeweler an slash like, streamer? Twitch streamer. And, yeah, yeah. Come on, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, I'm just I'm like I'm 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 grateful for everything this game has given me. The amazing people I've met along the way, everybody I've had this this chance to you know learn and grow with. It's it's very humbling. I will say that. Like it's it's incredibly strange to think that this is where I am and that this is the path that I somehow ended up on. And like, I keep telling my family when they're like, Oh, are you still doing that card game thing where you dress up every now and again? It's just like, I'm on this train until it stops. Okay. Like, yes, I am still doing all that stuff. <laughs> okay. 
Olivia, are you okay if we if we do a rapid fire round? Like I just ask you questions that are not related to each other. Go for and, it. Yeah. Okay. All right. I got my questions here. So first question. This is not going to be scary. First so okay. Uh, <laughs> what's your what's your fitness routine? Yeah, just 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 give me the fitness routine. Like what, what are you on right now? So I do um when I'm consistently working out, which is was not as often as it should be during the pandemic, but I'm getting back into it. Um, I go strong lifts five by five is the program I use. I've just had the best luck with it. It's simple. It's consistent. And the nicest part for me, since I am vain and want to, and like solutions oriented, the nicest thing I found about that is I watch my numbers go up very quickly and I see where the progress is happening or where it's not happening. So then I can focus on where I need to correct things. So that program has been like super great for me. Plus it doesn't feel like it's this overwhelming burden of like, you have to be in the gym for six hours every day. It's literally like a 45 to 60 minute workout every other day. I can hang with that. So strong lifts is what I use to go from zero to where I am now. And also to the peak of where I was. <laughs> so yeah, strong lifts five by five is the program I use. Um, and I just try not to be a jackass with my diet as in like, I've never been like huge on fast food or anything. I just eat too much of good stuff. So just try to be mindful of that. But like, yeah, that's about as regimented as it gets. How did you decide to start on your fitness journey? Um, a bunch of my, actually some of the like magic friends from uh, that, you know, introduced me to the game. I've known a lot of them since high school or middle school. Uh, a bunch of them got started with, it and I was like, dang, like, okay, friends, like this sounds kind of sweet. You guys should show me stuff. And they did. And I got stuck with it. Um, I played water polo through middle school and high school. So like, it wasn't that I was ever, you know, not sporty or athletic or anything, but I never did like weightlifting or anything like that. And that just, you know, like team sports weren't really in the cards after college. <laughs> so having something that could still be an outlet for that. And again, like you get to look better, you get to feel better. And it's just like, it's really nice being strong um, and not feeling like daunted by anything. It's like, oh, I have to pick that up. Okay. No big deal. And not, you know, like that was really appealing to me. So uh, that's how it was just kind of like this nice little congruence of friends doing it of, you know, I should probably start taking care of myself a little better now that I'm not in my twenties anymore and going for it that way. Describe for me what it's like to be, this is going to sound so weird, but it's okay. It's no, a it's question. Fine. It's an interview question. Yeah, it's fine. What is it like to be one of the most prominent women in the magic community? Daunting. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's easy. Like, <sighs> I don't even know where to start. There's so many places. Like, it's nice that I can be in that space. I'm happy about that. I would wager that most of the other women in the space are like, could agree that it's really daunting sometimes because you, it's so easy to feel and actually be under like this extra microscope of like, Oh, if you fuck up, you're fake. You were never in it. Like it's the whole, Oh, you like football name every team since 1897. Like, you know what? Fuck off. Like <laughs> it's okay to have like a dalliance or an interest in something. You don't yep. have to be, you know, the encyclopedia on it to be legitimately interested or legitimately into anything. So it feels like there can sometimes be a bit of an extra lens or that people look at you as if you are entering the space because there's not a lot of other women. So you're just kind of like wheedling your way in to find a, I, 
I honestly don't know. Cause that's not my mindset. And that's fucking insane. So <laughs> like nobody, I, uh, yeah, I can't relate to that. So I can't speak to it. Cause the, uh, to just assume someone's insincere for whatever reason, when they're clearly not is not right. something I can like wrap my head around. But, um, I am grateful that I am in the spot I'm in at the same time. Like, I don't think I'm necessarily that what's the word I'm looking for. I think that I have the outlook and ability to take whatever heat comes at me. And I think that I can, you know, brush off a lot of the bullshit that might come my way. So I'm grateful that it's me as far as like being able to kind of just take some of this stuff and yeah, it's, this is a podcast in and of itself, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> this is part of the reason why I, I was I have hesitant. Been, yeah. No, it's fine. I've been, I'll put it this way. I've been very fortunate to find a community within this larger community that is extremely supportive, that does not think that my or anyone else's gender has anything to do with our interest in the game, our abilities within it, or our presence or ability to bring something of meaning to the game. So because of that, I'm very grateful in my spot. I know that that's not the case for everybody, which is sickening. And I don't think anybody should ever have to feel unwelcome. So if there's anything I can do, and if my presence here lessens or alleviates that, then it's all for the better. I'll take whatever's coming if I can make it better for other people. Mm -hmm. Well, let me, let me, uh, you can, like just ditch the first part of that dog shit answer. The question. <laughs> just take that no, every, TLDR. <laughs> everything's good, but I, I just felt like I need to refine what I'm asking you because yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think it's very easy to just ask questions about, oh, you know, like, oh, what's it like to be a X in this space? You know, yeah, be, it's like, like it's this... my day-to-day existence. How do I yeah. even begin to convey what it's like when it's like, there's more to it than it's just the magic. It's kind of like asking a fish, like, what is it like to swim all day or something? Right. Yeah, like... it, we're just in it. Yeah. I would dare to ask a follow-up here, which is more specific, which is sure. There's going to be some bullshit. There's going to be like, and there is everywhere. Like there there is everywhere. So it's kind of universal just as far as the internet or mankind or humankind is concerned. Right. (sighs) Yeah. But I also wonder if like being a woman in magic means that you also feel a bit of additional pressure. Sometimes it's like a positive pressure. It's like, you know, you, you are representing a group of players that, for better or worse, people look up to you in a certain way. Right. So, so because of that, do you feel this sort of added? Of course, the the question is flawed. I understand that because you you never were anything else but just you. But but I mean, exactly. like, do you feel no, I that, that right? I, I I'm wondering if you I, feel that using what you you know your tools. So with, you feel that exactly. And yes, um, there is definitely a point where you're like, of course, you know what it is. It's it's the I can't speak for everybody in the same demographic as me. Right. But since you're out in front of things, people start taking you as the voice. Or they assume. Exactly. So it's one of those, the pressure is God, I hope I don't make an ass of myself, make it worse for anybody else. That's what the pressure is. It's not like I give a fuck what some asshole on the internet says about me. I give a shit about like, sorry for the language. I fucking care about what they're going to do to somebody else that looks like me, acts like me, whatever down the line. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, well, that Olivia was a stupid bitch or didn't know this or didn't know that. And they're going to discredit everybody else because of it. That's the kind of pressure I feel, which is of course unfair, completely ludicrous to ever assume that one person is going to speak for, you know, another group writ large like that. So that's where the pressure is. It's like, I don't want to make it worse for anybody else that <laughs> shares features and yeah. that somebody else might prejudge them on. So I think that's it is just trying to not be a completely classless idiot while I'm doing <laughs> this. <laughs> but I was going to say, that I, sounds like an impossible task, not, not to be, I mean, not impossible to be a non-idiot, but, but just, just right. set setting the, the precedent of like, yeah. you have, that must, that sounds basically impossible, right? I, I, and I, it, it is. And I think that, you know, a lot of people feel like that, that, that are in a, a point of prominence or a spot of prominence, you know, anything noteworthy, like you don't ever want it to reflect poorly on your peers. So I wouldn't want my, you know, shitty gameplay or misreading of a rule to just be like, oh, well, <laughs> see, that's proof. Women don't know how to play magic. It's like, get fucked. No, it's not. It means that I didn't bother to read the damn card and I was being lazy and like snacking on something when I could have paid attention to it. That's universal. That's not exactly. And and that's exactly. And I think that part's true. You know, like, I think that most people probably have like the inkling of that in the back of their heads. I would say that's my greatest fear is just that, you know, a lot of you know, what we would say our nerd spaces have in the past been heavily dominated by men. And so there is a subset that feels like our inclusion of just widening the circle means that a piece of the pie is getting taken away from them. And that's not how this works. <laughs> so because of that, there is kind of that added pressure, not because you care what some clown ass thinks that is, you know, just wrong by assuming you don't belong because of your gender, because of how you look, because of any number of reasons, you don't want to make it worse for anybody else that might share that with you. So that's where that pressure comes from. I think it's much more a point of of, a a place of empathy than it is a fear of some jackass. Like, I don't give a shit. What are they going to do to me? If every, you know, this entire internet thing comes crumbling down for me, I go back to setting diamonds and metal. I have a great life and I'll be okay. Um, I just don't want to make it worse for anybody on the way out. You know, I at no point want someone to have held against them something that I did. Cause that's, that's just, that's bullshit. Yeah. So since you started playing magic in 2014 to now, has the bullshit level gone down or has it remained the same? Has it gotten worse? I couldn't tell you. And I'll tell you why I can't give you a good answer to that because I've become more involved. I've become more ingrained in a lot of spaces where complaining, not even out of malice is the primary way to try to improve things. And I know that sounds strange, but generally that's the complaint is the sound of an alarm that like, Hey, something's not good. So I feel like if I said, Oh, back in 2014, when all I ever did was play with some janky ass brews on a glass table in a backyard, that the discourse was different. I don't know what it was. I don't really have a very, it's not the same baseline. Yeah, exactly. I've got nothing to go from. So have things like escalated since I've been in? Sure. Has everything escalated since I've been in? Also? Yes. (laughs) So it's like kind of hard to give a real answer on that because it's at the same time, like I could say that, you know, things are really terrible. If I'm deep on magic Twitter and I'm going to tell you about how 
Watsi's just printing money and, you know, Hasbro doesn't care. And they're just trying to bilk us for every last cent. Nobody cares about the game. I could conversely also log off, just play with my friends and tell you, man, we've got a great play group. These cards that are getting printed, like this seems like it's a lot, but you know, we, we're, we're self-managing and we're an okay pod and kind of have an understanding on what's cool and what's not with us. And yeah, things are fine. It's really tough to kind of say like things are better or worse. It's like, they're different. I don't, I can't say for sure. Cause I don't know what they were like in the long, long ago. I only know from my own involvement. And as I've become more involved, I see more stuff. So it's not even necessarily that I know that like as a flat line on a, you know, as a static thing that it's gone up or down, I couldn't tell you because I've progressively becoming more and more involved in it. So I see more and more, so it might feel that way, but maybe it's not. I, it, that's a really tough question. I can give you this big dancing around a yes or no. Cause I, I can't give you a, a straight answer on that. No, I like that. That's a real answer. So I appreciate that. <laughs> What are, <laughs> what are you optimistic about as far as commander is concerned in the future? Um, I'm optimistic that we're going to get over these growing pains of just kind of exploding in popularity. And my biggest hope is that content creators, the rules committee, just kind of commander players alike can, can have the big, the big bubble expand. And then we can kind of be like, okay, everybody can calm down. The goal here is for all of us to have fun. There are different ways to go about doing that and we can find a place for everybody. So we're just going to take our collective big, deep namaste breath <laughs> and like realize that these are growing pains. These are things we can figure out and our format will continue to be healthy and great. And one of the best, if not the best way to play magic. That's my hope. How did you get started making becoming a jeweler because I, I've seen some of your works and they're quite beautiful. Like how, how, how did that, how, what's the origin story of Olivia becoming a metalsmith? Hilariously. I'd wanted to do this since I was a little kid. I also learned early that I was in a tiny town with not a lot of opportunities for said things to occur and funny story tools and, you know, gold cost money. So kind of pipe dream that one was like, eh, well, it would have been cool, but I guess I'll just do something else. Like I just kind of let it fall by the wayside. So as I want to say, when was it 2010 I just to come off of running an assembly race in Nevada and then was working as a paralegal with one of my buddies, a campaign staffer that I, you know, went to school with and we were friends. And as I was working there, I was like, oh, holy, holy shit. I have, I have disposable income. <laughs> For the first time ever in my life, I, I like have money after I pay my bills. <laughs> what? So I signed up for a jewelry making class that was at my community college. And it wasn't like learn to do beading or make glass or something like that. Like this was like, you're going to come in we're going to teach you how to be metalsmiths. And so I thought, Hey, you know what? I could just give that a shot. See if that dream was anything worth pursuing anyway. And because now there's, there's no stakes, right? Like, it's not like I'm going to get screwed over and find out I hate it and then be stuck in this career after I just, you know, dumped all this money into college for it. So I went and I took the class and day one, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I am in love. Oh my God. I was right. I should have just done this from the start. I was immediately thinking like, why didn't I just study, you know, get my BFA in metalworking and all of this like shit. So I took that semester. I stayed as a paralegal. I took another one. So I took like a second semester of it. Cause it was basic. It was like virtually an adult education class at this point. Like it was a bunch of olds, all of us in myself included that were like, ah, oh, we just want to learn how to do it. 
So I apprenticed with that jeweler a couple of times out of his shop. And he was like, you know, if you really want to do this, there's trade schools for it and everything. And so I said, huh, that's a good point. I sold my house. I moved out of Nevada. I moved into my aunt and uncle's basement in San Carlos because ha, huh, how was I supposed to live somewhere in San Francisco without a, you know, 80 hour a week job that pays six figures to be poverty line basically. And, uh, yeah, paid for trade school and went to San Francisco and went to Revere Academy. Um, got, uh, two training or got two trade certificates there and then, uh, moved up to Seattle and started setting diamonds at Blue Nile. <laughs> that was it. I just, I went out on a whim and had always wanted to do it. And I gave it a shot and found out it was absolutely something I enjoyed doing. And, you know, I didn't want to be a paralegal forever. And I had at that time said that I was retired from doing campaign work. Ha ha, that didn't happen at all. And so I just made a career change and off I went. And yeah, I wish I'd gone to trade school earlier, honestly. Hey, better late than never, right? Exactly. Yeah. So now I can, I can do all kinds of crazy stuff. So um, yeah, went to Blue Nile and then I have taken some uh, private classes with some master engravers. And then I was in Antwerp for a master stone setting course. That was like, I want to say a long, as long as a tourist visa is in Belgium and did that. And then, yeah, I've been, I uh, worked at a shop up in Reno doing customs and repair work. And that's what I've been doing ever since I got benches at home and my whole setup and it's been awesome. I love doing it. What's more fun building these sorts of things with your hands or building magic decks? Magic is fun, but building decks is fun. Yeah. However, not even a, but I'm going to give you, however, having something tangible that I made with my hands that will outlast me is really fucking awesome. The fact that I'm like, I hold, I can hold a bar of metal and be like, you were made at the beginning of the universe and I'm going to make you do what <laughs> I want. That fucking slaps. That's, that feels real good. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's like, you are elements older than my existence and you will outlast me, yeah. but you will bend to my will for this fraction of time. <laughs> and and when you're sweet. working on these metals, are you just in some sort of flow state? Like you just lose all you sense know, of time. You're funny. just really I, locked in. I it it totally has happened with me like that. Um, there were a couple days where I was at my at my class in Belgium where I would just put on, like I mentioned before, old video game soundtracks, and I'd have a project that I was working on, and it's like someone would be tapping me, and it's time for lunch. I was like, I just got here. It's been five minutes. No, it's been four hours. I go get lunch and I come back and I just plug back in. And it was just like, next, next thing I'm getting the tap on my shoulder at six o'clock. I'm like, <laughs> no, it's not. I don't know what time means anymore. I absolutely have entered flow states doing metal work. Yeah. hundred percent. Next question. I think it's fair to ask because you, you touched on it. To what extent <laughs> were you involved in working in political campaigns? You, you, you did mention that. I think. Yes, uh, I did. Yeah. You're okay. Fine. Don't worry. <laughs> so I have worked um, a lot of different positions in campaigns. I was a field organizer ugh, in 2008. And then I was a lobbyist for a uh, children's health nonprofit. When was that? In 2008 through 2009. I worked for the state Democratic Party in Nevada in 2010, ran an assembly race and did a but what else did I do in 2010? I volunteered on a couple other campaigns and would do like housing. Like even as I was working for another campaign, you'd volunteer for others. This is what you do. Cause you're insane. And then what 12 did I, I didn't work for Obama in 12. 
who did I work for in 12? I did plenty of stuff in Nevada. I think I worked on like every constitutional statewide race and just did volunteering and I was paid staff somewhere. I can't even remember. 14, there was a special, or was it a Senate race? There was more stuff going on in Nevada. I worked on all that. 16, I was an operation, uh, deputy operations director in Colorado. So basically I did our payroll, our HR, our logistics, deliveries, supplies, uh, everything. If, if we needed it to function, I probably had my hand in it somehow did the same thing in 2020 in Nevada and then have just been active pretty much all the off time. Otherwise either donations or doing canvases, doing volunteer work and like helping candidates get stuff set up or, or I, I mean, it's a, a long and storied list, but basically I feel like my campaign duties have been all other needs as assigned. So <laughs> I've done a, a lot. So of you're very much a, you're very much a patriot, right? Like one does not get involved. I'm in incredibly civic minded. Yes, civic minded. <laughs> I, okay, I am absolutely. I yeah. I mean, I understand that it's very difficult to get involved. That it is a large time commitment and effort commitment, and that not everybody can do it, and that's fine. I can. I did, and I. I mean, in 2016, I was working at at the uh, fulfillment center for blue Nile. And I got a call from some of my old colleagues in 2008 and they're like, Hey, can you just like, you know, take a month's sabbatical? I was like, no, but I'm going to ask anyway. <laughs> like, we need an adult down in Nevada. So, I mean, I've been quote unquote called out of retirement a couple of times. Like, I'm just like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. This is I, just the time, the effort, the mental gymnastics you have to do to keep yourself in on it. Cause it is a grind. It is brutal campaign work. And that is just not respective of the, even the actual politics behind it. Like the work itself is just brutal. Just brutal, um, mind boggling. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just nonstop because it's so intense in such a short period of time. Like it's really difficult. Like you are basically focused. There's election day. And then you're like, shit, what campaign am I on next? Oh, now it's the off season. Where am I going to go? Like it's nonstop. It's it yeah. is nonstop. So I, you know, like had said multiple times, I'm done with this. I'm just not living this life. And then of course get called back into it every time. But when I was in Seattle, <laughs> uh, I took my sabbatical. I went down and helped for the, um, the primaries and caucuses. Well, the caucuses in Nevada, cause we don't have primaries there and came back to Seattle and then got a call of just like, Hey, we're looking for operations people in Colorado. And I'm like, that's Colorado. And I live in Washington and my husband's here in Washington. Mm -hmm. And I went and I realized that my two friends were running Colorado. And so I went to my husband, I was like, Hey, so <laughs> this is the only call I'm going to get for this election. <laughs> I mean, it's fine, right? How, I mean, I have to drive you to get Star Wars to... cards back in the day. I know, right? You know, yeah. You, 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 you ask for a pay whole six hours of me chauffeuring you. I'm going to ask for six months in another state. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's pretty taxing. Um, and like obviously, I ended up doing it, and he came out and visited and would help. And it was his, you know, he was from Colorado, so it was his home state. So basically, so you're still very civic minded, but it's just that you, you you just you're just saying never again because it's just so much work. I keep I keep saying never again, but I've said never again like five times and I always go back. Okay. You're like the person I, always coming out of retirement basically. Well, honestly, like what it is, is it's just, there's a point where I get that. I get the call. I get an ask and it's mm -hmm. like, I can't not do anything. I can't espouse, Hey, it's really important to be involved and then ignore it when I get asked to. 
that's my thing. I can't go and yell on the internet how important it is to register to vote and to have X, Y, or Z done or to advocate for a certain policy or a certain position. And then when it comes back to me, say, I'm good. I'm not going to do it. I can't. I can't. That one, that's a, it's, I got to answer the call. And I, it, I'm not to say I haven't been judicious or like said no to certain things, but there are, you know, certain causes that I'm, I, I cannot with a good conscience say no to, no matter how much I might not want to do the work or how exhausted I am or dispirited and disillusioned I am with the, with the process and where things are, I would rather do something than nothing. <laughs> so I do something. Yeah. So I'm sure if I get another phone call saying, Hey, we need you out in such and such state for this race. I'm like, shit. Yeah. Okay. I'll be out there. Can I get two weeks first? You know? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's for me, I like, I understand the, the disillusionment, the, I am <laughs> as upset as most others with the way things have been going of late and why some things just are like, we, we really can't do this. Like, okay, sure. Whatever. Huh. But at the same time, like, I think a lot of people think that to be involved, you have to be in something huge in this giant, like machine of a campaign or, you know, more or less blindly following a candidate. And it's like, that's not true at all. You like the, one of the best ways to get involved is locally is at to the local regional help out level, your right? neighborhood to, you know, you don't want to work for a campaign. You're disillusioned with all the parties. Fucking good. You should be. Go help out at the food bank down the street. Go volunteer some time there. Because that is, let me tell you, one of the most fulfilling things you can do is be like, you know what? I'm going to make sure my neighbors have enough to eat. Mm-hmm. That transcends any anything beyond basic human empathy, right? Like I wouldn't want people to not give a shit if I'm hungry on the street the literal least I can do is go help pack food and make sure it gets to people that need it. Like there's so many ways to have a meaningful impact, to do something positive that is mutually beneficial to you, to your community that does not require like a political affiliation, right? Like there's, there's ways to do things that are positive and meaningful and have an impact that aren't tied to an R or a D. So I think that I've become, you know, since the beginning of my political quote unquote career, it's much more policy oriented. There are certain things that I, not that, not to say that I don't care about a lot of different things. There are certain things I've chosen to focus on. And so when those things come calling, it's just like, okay, that's, those are my, those are my two. Cause you know, you can't, you can't help everybody. You cannot help everything. You cannot be an expert on every matter and push for every, uh, you know, position that you might care about. It's okay to find one, get good at it and get something done with it. And that's where I kind of am now. I think that applies to a lot of things in life because mm-hmm. there's often the, I don't even want to say danger, but it's just, there's a human tendency to look at things at a super high level, which is like talking heads on a news channel yeah. Yeah, or the absolutely. presidential candidates. But the reality is that what are you going to do? What can you do today to move the needle? Right. right. And it's not exactly. just always talking about yeah. things that are going to happen in four years. It's going to be like, how do I help the person down the street or, or your neighbor, as you said? Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, doing the field organizing was actually really, really eye-opening. Um, like I was not, 
from an affluent area or from an affluent family or anything, anything like that. But like, I never had like my, my parents bless them did at no point in time. Did I ever feel like I had to worry about my next meal? Right. Like, but that's not a, I hate to use the word. That's not a luxury, which is disgusting to even have to frame it like that, that everybody has. So like, there's so many ways that you know, helping out, like even again, being a field organizer for an actual candidate still was just like, you get to hear the way these things that seem so esoteric or so pie in the sky are like absolute, you know, how could this ever happen to anybody? You hear these stories of like these things happening to people and the, the, you know, things they have to endure or try to work through to get help, to be in a better place and provide for themselves, their families, whomever they care about, it's just brutal and you want to make things better. And sometimes you can't, it's like, shit, man, you really got to take a step back and be like, okay, well, this is, it's cool that I'm doing this. I'm getting these stories out there. I'm finding out this information. Awesome. What about tomorrow? What about when the campaign's over? None of these things will have been resolved or, you know, that doesn't change the fact like, Hey, you know, we got X, Y, or Z law passed. Well, it's still three years before it takes any effect. So how can I, how can I do something now? And it's so easy to be engaged at that one big presidential level, national election, and then kind of like tap out after that. None of the work happens on election day. It's just like, Hey, those are the people that should listen to me closer when I'm hounding their ass the other 364 days of the year saying, where is my solution for this? Why hasn't this been better? That work never stops. And it's okay for people to like have to tap out a little while, but it's best to find something that you are passionate about, that you can learn about, that you can get in depth about, that you can become an advocate for and stick with that thing and do the best you can in that space. Like it's okay to not have the bandwidth to deal with every injustice at every moment, because it's, that's not how this, that's not how it can work you know? Excellent. (laughs) What are your thoughts about the United States circa 2022? Very open-ended question. Yeah. uh, We got a lot of work to do. Those are my thoughts. We got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Okay. Realistic thoughts, but (laughs) I'm glad. Cancel fucking student debt for God's sakes. Like I even paid (laughs) mine off. Like there's no fucking reason. Okay. (laughs) Hopefully you're still optimistic about the future. It, it sounds like you are. I mean, I'm as optimistic as I can be. Depending like, on the day. I, yeah, right? Like sometimes things are rougher than others. It's You, you just got to make all the contributions and improvements that you can. Like I cannot change a lot of things. I can change many things nearby me. And it behooves me. It's in my best interest to do that, to enable, empower, and ease up life for those that I can. And I hope that other people can feel the same way. And like, if everybody just tries to affect their bubble, that's still a lot of fucking people that can have something better for them, you know? So yeah, it's easy to be really disillusioned right now. And I don't blame a single person that is, I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, with uh, great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> on that happy note. Yeah, yeah on that happy note. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is great. Olivia, you've been more than generous with your 
your time. And I felt like we, I'm very happy with what happened today because oh, in a good. way we did kind of three podcasts in one, different, hey. very all over the place, but I, I love it. And uh, <laughs> so where can people find you on social? What's the best place for people to find you? Um, the best place to find me is Twitter because Instagram is all videos now and I hate everything else. So uh, <laughs> I, I am still on Insta and on Twitter at Gobert Hicks. It's my last name, G-O-B-E-R-T-H-I-C-K-S. And then on Twitch at uh, Affinity Artifacts. So it's twitch.tv slash Affinity Artifacts. And that's where you stream Commander three times a week. And the other one is me shitposting, yelling about uh, reproductive freedom and justice and card games. So there you go. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thank you again so much for your time today. And I hope you have a, a great rest of the day wherever you are. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Magic. Please give us a follow on Twitter at Humans of Magic and visit our website, humansofmagic.com. We'll see you next time.